Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. On a lively Monday afternoon here in Morgantown. Presenting this to the public on Tuesday morning. Chris, I would like to volunteer a rumor. Volunteer a rumor? Oh boy. Go for it. How long, if it hasn't already happened here, we're talking at 1.40 on Monday afternoon, people are listening at some time Tuesday, perhaps between then and now, the Neil Brown rumor to Tennessee has materialized. It seems well, inevitable. It, it's it's always inevitable. It, it's going to get linked there. There's going to be a post about it. There's going to be 16 message board conversations about it. And I just don't think there's anything you can do about it to to deter it, like before, you know, to to... to strike it down before it ever even happens but um here we are i guess you know this is the new normal that's going to keep happening especially especially when tennessee does something crazy like this when all signs point to the fact that they knew jerry pruitt was was you know was one not doing a very good job two was being investigated for these violations months ago and then just decided mid-january a month after everyone else has finished their coaching search and the coaching carousel has come to a stop. They decide, yeah, let's move on. Just I have bizarre. no idea what they do now. I have no idea what they do now because they've, they've made a mess of their last coaching search. They let the the inmates run the asylum there. It's so late in the game right now. Um, maybe they get like a pro coach, not like an NFL head coach, but like maybe somebody with experience in college who's a coordinator or something along those lines. I don't know who that is, though. And then Tennessee is one of those like fraternal schools where they, they kind of like to have one of their own sometimes if they can. Um, but they also kind of eat their own a little bit too, where they're 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 kind of hard on their program <laughs> and and push people out and, and things like this happen where obviously it's a little bit different because there was some rule breaking going on. But I don't think anybody was in love with the job that Pruer was doing there too. Um, I know you have thoughts on Tennessee and their fan base, but like I'm trying to figure <laughs> out like who they are and maybe like if who they think they are is equal to what the public at large and more importantly, prospective college football players think or coaches think. I don't think that's even, this is just like a fascinating position again. Would you compare it to kind of like a Texas? Like they have the ability, they have the recruiting base, they have the money to, and the facilities to be a national championship contender. They haven't been in a long time. And, I feel like a lot of the issues start at the top and the decision-making process and the hiring process and the fans are maybe a little too unrealistic in what they expect all the way down to the Oklahoma is a, a, a slightly lighter version of Alabama, except in the SEC, there might be two or three Oklahomas right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, how long will it take for Tennessee to overcome that? Interesting. Are they Texas? I, I can see the parallels there. Um, and they've been back, quote-unquote, a few times. <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember when Lane Kiffin was the coach there and he left to go to USC. And he had a press conference and he said something like, Tennessee's a good job. Tennessee's a top 10, top 15 job. But, like, USC is the number one job. And at that time, like to say that about USC, it wasn't absurd at all. Um, but I was thinking, man, Tennessee's a top 10 job back then. No way is it a top 10 or 15 job right now. You would think just based on, you know, what have you done for me lately? But if you sit down and you look at resources and geography and alumni and support, it's a top something job. And the something is a pretty small number, I think. I don't know if it's 10 or if it's 15 or if it's 25 anymore, but I feel like it's still, a, if it's the right person, a pretty great job, all things considered, even if it's been dormant for a while. I think that that's kind of where I'm at with the, the, the Texas comparison, just because the potential is there for this to be a top five job. It is. If you can, but you got to deal with the crazy, you got to deal with the, you, you got to deal with the competition and you got to deal with the crazy. And I mean, we're talking about the same, uh, same program and the same fan base that when they were coming into that game against West Virginia in Charlotte a couple years ago, uh, I believe West Virginia was like a multi-touchdown favorite. And I, I don't think there was, you know, season over, you never really know. New coach, never really know. And and they had the talent. You know, they get they get the, the top recruits. But there was, uh, hey, West Virginia's going to win this game, right? Like two touchdowns, three touchdowns, what are they going to win by? And it was, that was everyone outside of Knoxville. And in Knoxville, it was, oh, Tennessee's going to win this by two touchdowns, three touchdowns for like 
just some of the most out of my like are you being a parody of yourself no you're being you legitimately feel this way this is crazy and that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with you have to deal with that at a lot of places but i feel like tennessee kind of ramped it up a little bit and and you really have to fight through that and that's something that that's an obstacle <laughs> you know I, fan bases rabid fan bases can be a positive and they can very much be a negative and when it comes to tennessee you know you mentioned the inmates running the asylum uh led by uh uh warden clay travis uh last time around with the uh greg shiano uh pruitt thing yeah. um although clay travis is now claiming that that was at the time it was a trans you know just an amazing hire to switch to pruitt while shiano's shiano's doing well in rutgers and pruitt's gone down the hole and now he's saying that he never thought that about Pro anyway, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it's always hindsight, but it, that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with around there is all these people getting involved, all these, these fan bases, these fans with crazy expectations. I mean, I can't decide what's going to come first from the West Virginia side. Oh God, Neil Brown to Tennessee or from the Tennessee side of finally we can get John Gruden. Finally. We can get John Green. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, you know it's coming. It, it, he is on. Every, he's been on every Tennessee hot board for like the last 10, 20 years. Groomers. Yes, groomers are back. Oh man, I forgot that. I was just trying to figure out how this is going to end up with Philip Fulmer as the head coach, but that's even better. Now you see, I thought I saw someone tweeting, and I, I'd like to give credit if I can find out who it was, but said that not only is Pruitt out, but that the board of directors, board of governors, whatever it is, are also reviewing Fulmer's spot at Tennessee yeah. because of this, which, you know, he, he he's budged his way in to a lot of these decisions and, and influence, and I'm curious to see what happens with him there. Well, I'm sure this is why people tuned into our Country Rose Conference <laughs> podcast here, too. But also maybe to get to the bottom of basketball scheduling here. We have many questions we'll get to, but the basketball schedule, um, you saw that. They've announced two changes. They reschedule one postponed game, and they backed up a previously scheduled game. Um, there's no norms that exist this year. Everything's going to be different. I think we're going to see some crazy stuff before this is all over. The the growing number of lists of postponed games makes this really hard. But I think we've heard before this is a difficult conference. And the Big 12 just made it significantly harder on West Virginia because you're looking at a 11-day window now. Oklahoma at home, Baylor at home, at Baylor, at Texas, at TCU. You're playing five games in 11 days. Um, you get a really tricky Saturday, Monday, which are always hard, against um, the Oklahoma team that has had their number, and then against Baylor, which is you know maybe the best team in the country most years that Gonzaga isn't playing. Then you get Baylor again. And then you have three games in seven days on the road there because I've been told they're not going to come home at all during that road trip, which doesn't doesn't make sense. I guess they're not going to come home on the 19th when you play on the 18th and the 20th. But you play early on the 20th. Maybe you come home the night of the 20th. You work out 21, 22 at home and you fly again the 22nd. That's an extra flight, though, which you don't want to do. Actually, two extra flights, which you don't want to do. So they're going to leave on the 17th and not come home until the night of the 23rd. That's the longest road trip I can remember. Yeah. And this is slightly different, but something we, we mentioned on the last podcast when we were trying to find solutions and we said, look at that trip down there to Texas and TCU, look for them to slot that Baylor game. You know, originally that was a Saturday, Monday TCU being on Monday. And now they've moved it to Tuesday. I thought they'd go Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, maybe, but putting that to Thursday and then sliding the next one back to Tuesday, um, man, I, w- my thing here is, and yeah, it's tough. We have five, five and 11 days. What's who made the decision to go three and say six instead of three and five? Like, why not keep that Thursday, Saturday, Monday? I get, I mean, I know it's game off game off game. Like that's a lot, but is it really that big of a difference from Monday to Tuesday afternoon? Yeah, would you rather be on the road one more day, or would you rather consolidate that? Right, I think I'd like. I think I'd rather come home, but that might I'd just be me. The, and maybe I'd rather have the space after the game to recover. Exactly, and I, I wonder if West Virginia had had a say in that. Maybe they prefer to do it Tuesday because I don't think TCU would care. You know, their schedule. This was just a, a slight change to their schedule. They don't have any extra games before that, so I, I wonder 
I wonder the, de- the decision-making process behind that and if WVU had a, had a say and if they did, if they asked for that and why. Yeah. I would rather, because I guess what you're looking at here is would you rather play Saturday, Monday, right. or Saturday, Tuesday? I'd rather do the Monday and have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. Because then you play again on Saturday. They're not going to have that. They're going to play on Tuesday, come home Tuesday night, have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. I'd just rather have the extra day off. I mean, you're already playing every other day. That's okay. Um, but again, what's the difference? I don't know. That's that's interesting. It does take away um, the, the 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 adding another game in between, though. So I guess the other part of this is by moving back that Monday game to Tuesday against TCU, they're not going to fill that week with another game. So what they did was they took one of those Saturday Monday windows where you have Saturday, Monday, and then off until the next Saturday. They took one of those and they filled it with that Baylor makeup game. They could have done that here, which means you would have gone again, Oklahoma, Baylor, Baylor, Texas, TCU, blank. You would have had another game in there because you would have played TCU Monday. You would have had a game in the week that you have off until you play again on Saturday. But by moving that TCU game back, you get the extra day, and you're not going to have a game filled in there. So they're probably going to put those two games in that extra week that we talked about. But could you imagine adding a seventh game that we just talked about there? That would have been really hard then. So maybe West Virginia did have a say and said, actually, let's back us up one, and let's not pack another game into that week off. True. And it's, again, just like we said last week, they West Virginia schedules get messed up and but you got to be prepared for other people's schedules to get messed up for more delays and sure enough in the next like four days after that I believe there were four other big 12 games postponed um yep. later in the week and through Saturday and they got to reschedule all those and, and and so on and and in all likelihood we're not done with the postponements uh, I don't know about West Virginia or other schools but as far as, as some game in the big 12 is going to get postponed again going forward so there, there's going to need to be even more flexibility i would think oklahoma state's going to have to postpone one because their 10-day window is includes a saturday coming up so i'm pretty sure they have the same 10-day rule um so that would that would cross them out for their saturday game they just haven't postponed that one yet so probably when we get with closer we'll see that grow this time last week one big 12 game had been postponed um seven by my account since then Mm. So happening fast. Um, and then I guess we knew that wasn't necessarily um, an unanswered question, but now we have the answer. And um, segue, lots of questions now from our VIP Q&A mailbag, Chris. Um, where do we begin here? Also, let's say this. We begin by speaking. Um, you will follow up with a written version. Um, right. The audio files don't really like that very much, but the people who like to read things, uh, good for them. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a very... Um... A very big split right there on the uh, from our listeners and readers, and there's very few people who enjoy doing both. Uh, they either prefer to listen or they prefer to read, but not the other. So I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we're going to try to get to as many as possible, but just trying to bring you information in a variety of different ways. And, and especially with this medium, with podcasting, I feel like we, we talk about things and then, because we're doing this on the fly. I mean, yeah, we took a peek at the questions beforehand, but we'll say something or not say something and want to either amend that or add to it after the fact. And, and I think that's why it's important to have the, the written aspect of it as well. Yep. So, um, hey, let's stick with basketball and we'll make, it, we'll make it nice and easy. This is from Omaha Year One. What is your eight-man rotation for Saturday in hoops if everyone is healthy? Got to be eight, no more, no less. Well, this comes down to whether or not you play Jordan McCabe, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like there's not too much of a question here other than are you picking Keedee Johnson or are you picking Jordan McCabe? Yeah, because you got to have Osaboyan off the bench right. for size. And you got to have Taz German because he's your best scorer right now um, off the bench on the perimeter. I mean, no no offense to Miles McBride, but like scorer. Um, Sherman's just been much more consistent in a variety of ways. So I like him as a bench scorer. You got to have him. He's certainly in there. Um, and body of work. I'd take Kedrian Johnson over over um, the Cape right now because he's he's been more lately and he's meant more lately and I, I think they did kind of miss him against Texas even though you know he played and he was involved in a really big moment in the game but um, what they had against Oklahoma State they did not have against Texas and I think that that was lacking so I'd have him in there before I'd have McCabe. Um, I'm with you. I think he brings something very specific and he can can get on the ball, uh, brings a little more energy, uh, can get to the rim and, and, and draw fouls and. 
I mean, both of them can make free throws, but I, I think I'd go with QD as well. So um, that's that's really what it came down to. What was just that last and eighth final spot there at number eight. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Do we have any more on basketball? Oh, yeah. From Misty Taste. Maybe another uh, another simple question, but it kind of opened it up for a lot of discussion. I'm curious what you have to say. A break in the action, good and bad for the good or bad for the old gold and blue. It's bad because of what follows. And again, a 13 day break is bad. It just is. You can't you can't shut it down and turn it back up. And then physically, we don't know the number and the severity of the illnesses, but some number of people were t- tested positive, and if it hits them, it could take a while. I mean, forget that it could be like a really dangerous disease and all that, but like even if you just have the flu, you can lose weight. If you got a really bad chest cold, it's hard to get your win back. That part's a negative. I do think that so much happened so soon, and there were, I mean, they were juggling a lot all at once. So, you know, players leave, players get hurt. We go from a big team to a small team, by the way, two games and three days in the road, come back, cram, and then you lose a heartbreaker to Texas, and bang, you get hit over the head with the COVID sidelining. So, for them to sit back and just catch their breath for a while, I think that can be good. Uh, Culver needs it. We mentioned this last time. Not a guy that apparently loves to be in the training room. So if you don't have to expedite ice packs and wraps to get a guy ready between games, you can kind of let him heal a little bit more organically, let him cool off on his own schedule. That's good, too. He probably needs some uh, that sour cherry juice that helps with the bruising and the muscles and everything. So that's good. He can do all that. Um, so a little bit of each. I think what tips this in – the good direction is if and how coaches can figure out how to use the time to their best. Yeah, you can't work out and you can't practice with everybody that's sidelined. I get that. They can Zoom. They got iPads. They can go over stuff. They can do scouting reports on themselves. They can figure out the strengths and weaknesses. And you would hope that you see a different product, maybe not different, uh, a more refined, more polished product the next time you're out there. Um, my question with that, though, is do you remember this in the beginning of the season where I think I asked Huggins about you know, hey, what did you do with your free time? Because Brown talked a lot about how the free time they had in the pandemic and the quarantine, they did a lot of self-scout and they got better, for example, in the red zone. And I asked Huggins, like, hey, what did you do parallel to that? He said, I, I didn't have any free time. I'm on a lot of committees and, you know, I didn't want to do that stuff either. I didn't want to do like a lot of self-scouting and whatever. And it made me think, wait a minute, is just the same stuff? Are we going to see more of the same? And you kind of did. And here you have another kind of commodity. Free time is a commodity in a season. I wonder if they sat down and they looked at ways to not reinvent the wheel, but to maybe make it roll a little bit more smooth. Yeah, I think obviously the, the best case scenario would have been for some rest for West Virginia, but maybe, and obviously no, you're not wishing for anybody to get sick, anybody at all, but the best case scenario would have been for West Virginia to have a game postponed because the other team had some protocols that they needed to sit out. And then West Virginia could have been healthy, had five or six days off and been able to work through, you know, get Culver healthy, get everybody else healthy and practice through these things and figure out more precisely how they're going to work this team, work this rotation, work these lineups, because, you know, once Oscar and and Cottrell went down, West Virginia had to kind of mix everything up and they had to do it on the fly with three games and just a handful of days and a handful more days to kind of figure it out without, the worry of a game would have been nice, but obviously not under these circumstances, not 13 days, not with guys actually being sick and testing positive for COVID. So um, a rest would have been nice, but not this kind of rest. I think that's obviously not great for a team that that's going to be struggling with depth moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of transitioning into football. Cause we got a, a football slash basketball question from Bryson Harvey, which development is more important to elevating their respective program? finding a consistent skill position playmaker in football or keeping the core of basketball team together for another season. I mean, we've seen this core of basketball for two seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the devil, you know, a little bit. And I just, I don't, I don't know how high, how far they're going to go based on what I've seen. You know, I, I can't, I don't, I'm not sure this is like a final four team. Like a lot of people seem like that was the case before because I think a lot of the enthusiasm and the optimism that came from those September, October conversations, it's kind of fizzled here. Um, you, you hung a lot of that on McCabe and Matthews getting better and being juniors who could really steady things. And that's, it's just not it. That's not what they've done so far. And obviously you lose Shibway and he would have been in the core. But if you're talking going forward again with Culver, Matthews and McCabe, I kind of like the football idea better. Um, if you get a guy who's a sophomore 
80 catches, 10 touchdowns, 1,100 yards, and he's a skill position player who stretches the field and makes your quarterback a lot better, I think that does wonders for the elevation of football. I'm with you. I think in basketball, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but I think if you can find a special player, you can can make up for the fact that maybe you don't have your whole core together from the previous season in football. You need that special playmaker. We've seen it. We saw it this year with this offense. Like who who was the quote unquote playmaker for this offense? That guy that could consistently do something special. Uh, Letty Brown was good, solid, very good at running back, but. How many, you know, 50-yard runs was he breaking off? How many highlight reel runs for touchdowns was he breaking off in this game? How many, you know, plays were the wide receivers making, catching it and running it 70 yards for a touchdown? How many big throws was the quarterback making? And the answer is not very many, and that's why the offense struggled, and that's why the team uh, didn't struggle but didn't, you know, do better than six and four this year. So I think if you can get a consistent big-time skill position player, that that's more important than trying to keep a, a core for a basketball team together. Well, and look what Letty Brown did for the offense this year too. Yeah. That's a skill position guy. And like, you know, was he, was he like, you know, award winning quality? No, first team all conference that counts, I guess, but he's not up for like the Doug Walker or the highs or anything like that. But that's a skill position guy. That was an upgrade over what they had for several years. And it wasn't a terrific offense. It was better. And I think even the differences that he made, at the skill position, elevated enough that you say, wow, do this in other areas. We wave this magic wand or other parts of the field. You know, how high, how far can they go? Um, that's a good one to find out. Sticking with football, hypothetical from Chestnuts. With no additions to the roster, what's your current too deep on the offensive line going into spring ball? Well, this is hard because I think we like the, the candidates they have to play. And long-term, this is a group that can grow old together on the field. So that's cool. I don't think there's 10, though. You want to walk through this with me here? Like, okay. center. We're, we're, we're sure Frazier's a center. We're not, we're not looking at the guy who won freshman All-America honors at left guard and saying, oh, let's make him a center, thinking that's a bad idea. Like, we're sure he's a center. I'm pretty sure he's a center. But All right. Back I, up. I, see, I see what you're saying, but okay. I'm pretty sure he's a center. Back up, Blaine Scott. Bryson Mays. That I was gonna say that's how much are we gonna move Bryson Mays around because I think that's a better option. But also, how much is somebody gonna want to stick around? You know, uh, if you're Bryson Mays, if you're being moved back to a backup in your third year. Okay, so the center one was just one question I tried to resolve because like I'm, I'm that's why Frazier was here. But I do wonder if you look at how he played and say, well, we have an All America guard, not just because he was freshman All America, but that's a guy who could grow in to be like a legitimate organizational All-American, when I say organizational, like some organization that matters, an FWAA, uh, an Associated Press, they can vote him All-American in a couple of years. Like, he could be that type of player. Um, but sure, play him at center. Um, and then I'm just looking at the, the starting lineup. So let's just go, I guess, by tiers here. Center was the first one I unresolved. Um, left to right, you, know, uh, you figure Brandon Yates. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing James Gemitter. I don't want to say that we reset him a little bit, but... He's he's not what you thought he would be going into 2021, but still a good player last year, and this is kind of a lost year for him for whatever reason. But okay, left guard, right guard. Eh, you're probably thinking Nestor. I I was it for me. It depends on kind of either or. For me, doesn't matter. I was going uh, Parker Moore or Doug Nestor, right guard, right tackle kind of look. And, okay, and then you and then you also have Jaquay Hubbard in there who. Assuming he gets back and is fully healthy, I think you got all those options there. Right. So I was going to say Nestor there, and then I was going to probably say maybe that's Mays, maybe that's Hughes. But like, I think the question is the quality of your five is it higher with Nestor at tackle or guard? TBD. But that may also do with not where is he best, but who's better? If he's a tackle, is the combination of tackle guard better with him at tackle or him at guard? And I don't know. Now, we saw more, and he looked good. Hubbard's out there too. Um, that we think he's going to be a player if he's if he's healthy and recovered and all that stuff. He had season-ending surgery. Don't forget, so uh, that could be good. So we we see combinations there. That's fine. We talked about center. I don't know where you're at on the left side though, which is strange because I think we kind of thought the left side was better this year than last year, right? Right. I think you got a, a lot of guys that can move around on that right side, but I'm not sure who's really. Proven themselves other than Nestor because as good as Moore looks, I mean, that still was 50 snaps between two games, mm-hmm. 60 snaps between two or three games, you know. So, we're not 
we're not talking a big um, a big resume here, but uh, so, some promise that was shown there. So he's he's in consideration. And Hubbard Hubbard's kind of the same way. Missed all of this past year with you know his mom getting sick and then him having surgery and sitting out for transfer for a while. But when he was a UVA, he fought into the starting lineup as a as a guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was only a couple games. So again, not a full resume, but something. And I don't. For me, I, I was kind of leaning that more towards those two guys than Mays or Hughes, and maybe the coaches will feel differently because they, they're going to go with the, the ones they know than the ones they don't, I guess. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, like I feel like Mays and Hughes. Do we know what they are by now? Like, like I feel like we do. I don't mm-hmm. want to be too harsh, but I don't know. You know, I don't. To me, they seem semi-serviceable FBS linemen, mm-hmm. and which is not. You know, that still puts you in the one percent of of offensive linemen, but maybe you could do better than that with Moore or Hubbard again alongside Nestor in some some way, some combination. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Where do you put Milam? That's the thing. He's a prototypical right tackle, I feel yeah. like, more so than left tackle. And I don't know where you go with that. Does he start in the two deep? Do you put him at left tackle as a backup just just because, just to get him work, get him in the two deep? And then also, what are you doing with Jordan White, who mm-hmm. the coaches were really high on at guard? Like, is he in consideration there for right guard or, or left guard, fighting with committer for that? Or I, I don't know. I feel like this is as good of a position that West Virginia has been with the offensive line especially heading into the spring in several years. Agreed. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. They had Hubbard playing left guard behind Gmitter, um last preseason. So he can do left side, I would think. Now, maybe they scuttle that experiment, but they, they did have eyes on him at left guard. Um, the one thing we didn't talk about is who's your backup left tackle, who's competing with Yates at left tackle. And I'm hard-pressed to get a candidate there. Uh, I mean, you know, on the two deep, it was Nick Malone. He was, he was a walk-on who's mm-hmm. not your typical walk-on I mean, he was committed to Pitt for full scholarship and, and chose to walk on at West Virginia so three-star recruit and stuff like that but um I'm going up and down the list too and yeah who, who's I don't know where you're going with that one you, you know I, I, I Remock who's the the freshman alongside Millam is not ready to start obviously not no very rarely are two freshmen Ready to start, especially at left tackle. So, again, not a knock on him, but I don't think he's going there. Chris Mayo, I believe he was getting more of a look at guard. I'll have to go back and double-check that from the spring. I don't recall him being in the two deep once we got to the fall. But uh, Tariq Stewart, he's the interior guy. And then, again, you got John Hughes. So, uh, kind of sparse over there at left tackle. So, so I'm going to do this on left tackle. I'm going to go Yates Malone because I think that's – what you're left with, but I would think that Malone could get pushed by somebody who maybe is a spare part in the right, right side. Maybe John Hughes ends up at left tackle as a, as a backup. Who knows? Something like that. But I'll I'll go there right now. Uh, left guard, I'll say Gmitter and Hubbard. Center, I'm going to say Frazier and Blaine Scott. Right guard, and then here's where we're projecting now. I'm going to go with Nestor and Jordan White. I've watched Chris Mayo, too. Apparently, they really like Chris Mayo at the end of the year. Um, and then right tackle, give me more and Mays. Okay. I don't, I don't hate it. I, it. It's a good problem for the coaches to have, where they have two guys that they know can at least go out there in Mays and Hughes. 
Uh, Nestor, who has shown to be anywhere from solid to excellent at Virginia Tech. So, you know, you can put him out there. And then more in, in spurts looked really darn good. So that, that's a good problem to have where you have four guys and maybe even Hubbard, depending on left or right. But you have four guys legitimately that you know can compete at this level and produce at this level in game situations. You've seen it on the, for two spots. That's a good thing to have. Now, if you go by mine, which is not the gospel, but I'm just saying if you go by mine, you don't have a spot for John Hughes. You don't have a spot for Wyatt Milam. Um, those are that's a really talented player, and that's like a veteran player who can do something that you think would help. And like that's a guy that you you would think six months ago, wow, we got a borderline five star, ultimately a four star recruit. He's gonna play right away. Well, maybe not. And then here's a guy in Hughes who started right tackle for a long time and started right guard as well. Well, he'll play somewhere. I don't have him in my top 10 there. That's kind of like the position of strength, the depth you're working at. And again, Chris Mayo, we don't have in there. Um, who's a, a guy that they really liked. I'm trying to think of other players that I've missed here. Uh, Tariq uh, Stewart. There's another one that, um, I mean, a big guy that just kind of didn't give himself the advantage that he probably needed to start, but I mean, not a, not a lost cause. There a whole lot to work with. That could be a guard. So there's, there's good players there that aren't in our top 10, 10, not 8, 10, that if they ended up in that rotation, you'd be like, well, that makes sense. That's a good player. It's a good part. Why not? So, um, yeah, you're probably right. Unprecedented depth of talent there for many, many years, right? Yep. Uh, let's go to the person they're protecting. This is from Lighten. Uh, Sell us on why we should not be depressed if Daggy is the game one starter this season. He's always bringing us down with these questions. Yeah, that was a that was a... That's a negative tone to that question. I even I even read it sad. <laughs> um, it's it, it might be the right move. It's a guy who's played a lot and can can grow a lot still, which is a weird thing to say for a quarterback. Played a lot and can grow a lot still, but for don't forget two years of Bowling Green and probably not great circumstances there. Transfers, red shirts, but also plays. He was rehabbing an injury too, kind of under the radar. But don't forget he had I believe it was a hip that he had repaired and was practicing to play it later in the season, which is a weird thing. But yeah, he got on the field. Then he gets new offensive coordinator and just a totally dysfunctional off season. So if you pencil in a second year with Parker, a full off season with some receivers who uh, maybe they're thinned out a little bit, but you certainly have a higher uh, concentration of who your top targets are and who you're spending your time with off the field. And maybe they're hungrier and more eager to be better than they were. Perhaps it clicks for him. It's a guy who, who's kind of been um, up and down, in and out for a while now. Hasn't had a whole lot of stability. Maybe he has some finally and benefits with a full faith offseason. I get that. Um, it also means he probably beat out Garrett Green and perhaps a guy they brought in. Um, so I would think that there's a way to look at it and say, well, I didn't see this coming, but if he got through that gauntlet of Green and or a transfer, and he had a full offseason that actually went really well and wasn't interrupted or wasn't, you know, sidetracked by some interruption they could have predicted or not. Maybe he's ahead of the schedule for the first time in a long time. Maybe he's not playing catch up as a freshman or a first time full season starter at a max school. Maybe he's not trying to get caught up on a new campus while rehabbing and trying to get on the field late in the season. And maybe he's not battling, you know, pandemic conditions and quarantine conditions to get ready to start, you know, a season of the Big 12. Maybe he's got everything settled and he's just focusing on a pretty narrow lane just to get to the starting line in the first game, the second game, and ultimately to the finish line. Would you like to take a guess at who ranks number five in the country in drop passes by receivers? As a team or a player? As a, a quarterback whose receivers have dropped the most ball. 20 Jarrett Daigie, yeah. 28 of his pass attempts were yeah. dropped. And that's, and this is from Pro Football Focus, which again, we have repeatedly throughout the year, they for some reason love receivers because their number of drops, I believe, was at the Texas Tech game where I think we were specifically asked Neil Brown afterwards how many drops he had. I think ESPN had seven, Pro Football Focus had three. <laughs> uh, Neil Brown said he had five to seven. So there's 28 that pro football focus is, is calling drops this season. And Neil Brown has openly admitted on a couple of occasions that he had basically double had counted double the drops of what PFF had. So 
I don't want to say 56 drops by receivers this season. I don't, that might not be that far off to be honest, but 40 feels right. Yeah. 40 feels, 40 feels good, but that's one of the worst in the country. And yet, even with that, he's still 64% completion percentage, 14 TDs, four picks. Nice, nice little ratio there. Um, I don't think he was terrible. I think the biggest concern for me all season long kind of came in that bowl game. And I don't know if it was just bowl prep, something strange about a look that army gave him or whatever, but the way his eyes, like he just couldn't pick up that pass rush. And, you know, Neil Brown mentioned that was part of the reason why he made that switch. It it was just his decision-making there and and inability to get rid of the ball, inability to see that pass rush, to see the coverages was, was the most concerning to me. But for the most part throughout last season, he was, you know, an above average quarterback. Yeah, sure. You'd love to have an elite playmaker quarterback. That's what would make your team elite. But how often are you getting that? And if if you could just put a, an above average quarterback with an all around great team, which West Virginia should have next year, you know, a lot of guys returning, really good defense, good running back, good offensive line. We just went over it. You know, you're looking at, I'm thinking Skylar Howard in the the 10 win season you get in a you know Skyler yeah. Howard an above average quarterback you know obviously different styles of quarterback here but he was an above average quarterback that had a true all-around team around him and they were able to win 10 games and I think that's something that could happen with Daggy at quarterback in 2021 I would like them to see I like to see the coaches figure out what he can do and build the offense that way like you can you can run an air raid around a guy who doesn't throw deep passes air raid is is quick short you know, sticks and, and mesh and stuff like that. And yeah, you got to stretch the field and hit your verts and all that. But like you can make it work with short stuff. Um, he's got to move better. And just like the thing that concerns me is that he got stuck with the ball an awful lot. Like his average time to run is north of five seconds, which for guys who played as much as he did was the longest in the country. Um, north of five seconds before he run and also didn't run very much. Um, didn't run once when he got blitzed this year. Think mm-hmm. about that. He got blitzed, I think, 97 times and he didn't run once. Um, and he took 13 out of 19 sacks on plays that were not blitzes. So something there is uneven. They got to figure out a way to make him more mobile. Is it moving the pocket? Is it, you know, rollouts? Is it different things like that? I don't know. Is it, is it just simply play action to cool off the blitz? I don't know, but they got to find a way to get him to use his feet to make plays. Arm is the arm. I get that, but you can win with quarterbacks who were limited, in the vertical throw. You can still hit him every now and then. You don't have to have a steady diet of it, but like his vertical numbers really thinned out toward the end of the season because they realized, all right, not our thing, you know, not your thing, not our receiver's thing, can't do it. Um, But also, if you're going to run the ball the way that West Virginia is, you're going to get favorable coverages deep down the field, so you can't eliminate that. But I'm still more concerned about his feet and his mobility. Again, if you play 33 games in your career and you finish with negative rushing 29 times, I think, Mm. 28 times, uh, two was zero, three with positive yards, never more than five. So 28 games, he's finished with negative yards, which again, that, that means not that he was running the ball and got dropped for, you know, option plays that lost yards. It means he couldn't avoid sacks. Um, that means like he took a sack for a seven yard loss and then never during the game avoided a sack and got an eight yard gain. Just negative yardage 28 times in 33 games. That's prohibitive. If you're a quarterback and if you're an offense, you want to have negative plays out of your system at any expense. And that means the quarterback's in charge of that. And he has not been able to do that. So I don't know how you teach that, how you coach that. Is it feel? Is it feet? I don't know, but I'd really like to see them figure out something they can do. And that's why I think continuity in your coaching staff is, is an important thing, which is a whole nother story. But um, there's a chance that it all works and they, they get it together and they go. But again, off season's really, really important here. Well, I guess that leads us to the next question. Does Neil Brown need to bring in another arm into the QB room for 2021 or can he be content with Daggy, Green, and Crowder. That's from Haas, 1982. He does not need to bring in another arm. You don't need a backup quarterback. Right. Because you're bringing someone in to replace Garrett Green, who is ostensibly the future of the position. No, you don't want that, I don't think. And again, um, you're bringing in someone to make Daggy the backup? Perhaps. I don't know if you mess this unless you have somebody who can beat out Daggy and Green for the job. 
I'm, again, I don't know enough about Will Crowdy yet as a high school player. I'm just a college player. I'm just excluding him from this conversation. I don't think they're in a good situation if he's playing this year, Chris. If I'm wrong there, Chris, but that just seems like it's a bad no. deal. You're right. So I would not bring in a practice arm. I don't think you need that. I would not bring in a second-string guy, a third-string guy. Um, you may bring in the guy who ultimately is your backup, but if he comes in and he has the bona fides to be your starter, I'm okay with that. Now, again, I also don't think that you can or have to find someone who is better than Daigie at what Daigie does. I think what this offense and what these coaches are searching for is a different look, therefore a different player. And that's why it may not be like a high-profile marquee name um, that is out there. So a lot of people see like, um, I'm trying to think, uh, who's in the portal now? That's an interesting player. Well, I was going to say, a couple of those guys have already made decisions, but like Mackenzie Milton from UCF was in there, Guarantano from Tennessee. Yeah, Guarantano, yeah. But like, so like Lance Gendry from Maryland is like a, Big time prospect, um, dual threat guy. I'm not saying he comes here, but he's different, and he's not a name like Derek King, or he's not a name like uh, Nikosi Harris, for example. Um, Perry, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So I, I get that, but he may just be a different cat, like just different, and he may be good at what the offense wants to do. It may be different. Um, he may not be a passer, a, a bomb at guy that does things that Daigie is limited with right now. That doesn't mean it's a bad addition. I'm trying to think of the quarterback at Middle Tennessee State. I can't remember his name right now, but like he's a transfer. He's a dual threat guy. Um, O'Hara. Yeah. Asher O'Hara. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just different. But like his his metrics, you know, he runs well and he, he hits the passes that, you know, sometimes you can struggle with this in, in this offense that Daigie has. But I, just, I was looking at his stats and I was like, that guy maybe makes sense. I don't know enough about him as a player, but if he ended up here, you can make an argument that says, all right, better runner, doesn't get sacked, makes plays outside the pocket. Okay, he doesn't hit the short passes. He doesn't have as high a completion percentage as Daigie, but I don't think you're looking for a better version of Daigie necessarily. If you find someone that's great and that does Daigie stuff, that's cool. That's an upgrade. But if you find someone who isn't as good or isn't as prolific in some of the areas where Daigie is, but he's better in other aspects, I think that's good. That's cool too. I'm with you. Um I do not – you don't need another backup. They can get by one. They can get by with three scholarship quarterbacks. Yeah. They did it this year. That's – that. so that – I don't I don't think that's I, – I don't even know if that's what he was getting at with the question. But to answer that part, even if you weren't asking it, no, you don't need a fourth arm. Uh, for me, this is – I'm with you. The only way I'm going this route is if it is elite, like a truly elite – difference maker quarterback and i know okay. people are going to look at this the, the guys in the portal right now and be like oh hey what about uh god like ryan Helinski, the guy from south carolina who's a big four-star recruit nope sorry nope not right now i need somebody that it's a proven commodity at this level and i it, right now i'm you know i just i just scrolled through while you were talking there i, I didn't have anybody in mind even before this just scrolled through again to make sure nobody had <laughs> showed up in the last 48 hours because this thing is always growing but there's no one in here that i would i would mess up what they currently have for current like it, it's just i just don't see it i don't see anybody that that that's worth going that route currently but of course we still have spring ball we still have guys that there's going to be coaching cha- assistant coaching changes in the next month or so or guys coming in and competitions in the spring and and, and more transfers are coming so maybe that'll change but right now, I don't think I would touch anybody that's in the quarterback transfer portal right now. Don't forget, the most amazing thing about Daigie and all of his stats and everything that we throw out there, he has used none of his eligibility. <laughs> he he came with two years left, two seasons left, and he has two seasons left. That's remarkable. Yeah, so I mean, it's not, you if you go with it, you're committed to it, but you probably see something that maybe we don't see. <laughs> um, hey, by the way, would you take Warrantano? No, no. You would never have said that four years ago, though. That was a yeah. Four years time. ago, I would I would have jumped all over that. But uh, yeah. we've seen what he does at Tennessee. He was inconsistent. He turns the ball over a lot. I would not. I wouldn't. No. I'm with you. Um, I think we'll end it on this, unless you got something else. But I got it, this one here. This is one of, one of multiple questions from twenty one forty six ear. But I'll, I'll stick with this one. Is w, WVU currently in the top half of the Big Twelve in football? He lists. Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State is the top four. If so, is WV the fifth team or just one of five teams, basically everybody but Kansas, that you can argue for that spot? Yeah, so here's here's where you're – I was going to say you put Kansas at the bottom for sure. Yeah. And then you're looking at 
Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas State, Baylor. And darn if I can't sort those four teams out. <laughs> like, I, I, I can remember when they came into the Big 12, I was thinking, and people told me this too, like, they can be Oklahoma State or Kansas State. And it's a small difference, but it's a very different direction. And what that meant was that they could really invest in football. They could get, you know, firm footing, win some games, you know, get the right offensive coach who's here for a long, long time and just hit on skill position players. So you're constantly refreshing. You have your, you have your footprint and you put it in front of the other one and you just keep going forward, doing what you do. One foot, one foot, one foot. That's Oklahoma state. Or you're Kansas state where you have your thing, but you also don't hit on everything because you can't, you know, geographically you're limited tradition. You're limited, whatever. Um, But every now and then you have, a collection of veterans and talent that you make some big strides. You're not, you're not constantly moving forward like Oklahoma state is, but every now and then you're able to make a big jump because you've planned and you prepared. That's Kansas state. And I don't even think West Virginia is one of those. Right. And that's probably why they are like not in the top four, not at the bottom, but right in the thick of it in the middle. Um, you know, Texas tech whiffed on a head coach and, and that really hurt their development for a long time. And they stuck with him for too long and Baylor, the only thing that was going to keep Baylor from, I think, becoming like dynastic, if that's the word, was what happened to Baylor. Because Bryles is going to be there forever, I think, and they were just going to keep winning and winning and recruiting guys and having shiny helmets and, and doing stuff like that. But that went really wrong in a really bad way, and it takes forever to recover from that. So I think the fact that West Virginia hasn't been able to enter the top four or it even distinguish itself among that other group of teams even as Kansas State had changes, Texas Tech had changes, and Baylor had changes, it, it kind of really puts them in that TBD. Um, not Kansas, but not definitely number five either. I'm with you because I think if you asked me out of that group right there, who would I want to be, say, in 2021, 2022? Like, you know, the next couple years, years, next one year? I think, I, you know, in 2021, I'd rather be West Virginia than any of those other programs you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're asking me for a three-year picture, probably still West Virginia. And then five-year, I feel like it's too up in the air. And I think that goes to the point that you're making that they're still in that mix with those teams of, uh, you know, are they definitively top five or even four, you know, or three can kind of get up there behind Texas, Oklahoma, or are they in that group? And I think that's, Again, this year and the next couple of years, I feel confident in saying that West Virginia is uh, in the top half of this conference, but I don't know after that. And, and, and West Virginia needs to be able to build that kind of base, that dynasty type, type of thing that you were discussing there to, to make it a sure thing every year. So one way or the other, Oklahoma and Texas are always going to be in that top two. Right. Um, we neglected TC from this conversation too, but TCU is – really kind of a similar situation to West Virginia where they just couldn't distinguish themselves in a time where they had a chance. Um, but anyways, um, I don't know how long Iowa State's in there. Probably for exactly as long as Matt Campbell is in there. Um, I'm curious who they would hire. I think that they'd probably promote their offensive line coach. I forget his name right now. Um, but he's been there forever. He was the, he went to the NFL. He came back. He's their offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. He's a good coach. I think they would keep him there because it seems like a culture thing is there they want to maintain. Oklahoma State's coaching thing is going to be a big, big deal when it comes open because that's a good job. But it's been good because the coach, I'm not a fan of him, but he's done enough there to, to make that, I think, synonymous with him. That's going to be a hard one to replace. And there's a way to get in that top four for sure with continuity again in your staff and everything. I think if West Virginia had to replace their coach, they would struggle similarly like Iowa State might have to and Oklahoma State might have to like Texas Tech and Baylor even Kansas have too, but there's an opening there in the probably not too distant future to get into that top four, certainly to get yourself in the top half and spread out a little bit. Um, if or when or how they get there is going to be really interesting. I agreed. I don't think for all the reasons you just said, Oklahoma, Texas, their, their money, their influence, their blue blood status, uh, their recruiting profile, they're going to stay one, two or one, two, you know, be in the top, even if, even if with an extended, downtime like top three at worst so i think um but oklahoma state and iowa state are not quite as permanent so there there is that 
there is potential and and but there is potential to move the other way with the other teams kind of having the same picture as West Virginia. Do you think this question was phrased like presently or like in a three year window from a broad view? Because I mean you could sit here right now and say that the fifth best team in the Big Twelve is West Virginia. I don't think anybody would yell at you. But I could also step back and say, man, over the last three years or a window of last year, this year, next year, I really can't sort out West Virginia, TCU, Kansas State, for example. I just I wonder what the intent of that question was. There's different ways to answer it, I think. Right. I'm, I was on the same, you know, that's why I kind of laid it out with next year, this year, you know, I think they, they finished sixth technically right behind half game behind TCU who, uh, you know, they crushed. So I take that sixth place with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. but um, I would, I would say, you know, they were fifth this year. They're fifth. I would say they're at least top five next year. I think if they finished fifth, next year with everything they got coming back that might be a little bit of a disappointment uh for Mm -hmm. west virginia but um then once you get past that or the you know the past three years probably not top five uh next three years i hope so it's trending that way uh and if it's not then then that then things have gone off the rails it's a good question it's better than his first question that he asks (laughs) that i'm not touching yeah you're leaving to me to answer in written form i appreciate that that's why we have it yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I forgot to include that on the list of reasons why we split this up. Uh, reason number one, A, so Mike can dodge questions and throw Chris under the bus. There well, we also, if I have to ask a question, if I have to answer a question about is Neil Brown going to be the coach to start the 2023 season, people are going to have reactions. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I know that probably because of me. I'm not saying I'm a lightning rod, but someone's going to say, well, you never like him or, oh, that's only because you have breakfast, breakfast with him every Friday. It's one or the other. It's not both, I guess, but that's a no win for me. I'm going to tap oh. out. Oh, but it is both. It Mike, is? Okay. <laughs> you started off on the, the the hater train, and then you were Breakfast Club. Don't don't think we forgot. We know. We know. Well, Chris, I'm going to go learn the words to Rocky Top, if that's all right with you. <laughs> it sounds good to me. I uh, I think we can wrap it up here. And again, we'll have this up. You'll be listening to this sometime Tuesday. And if you're listening to it, odds are the written version will be up shortly after it. So keep a lookout for that as well. And apart from that, no idea what we're going to write about, but we're going to try to keep our head down here and go forward till we have a game sometime soon. We're at least accustomed to this uh, writing as sports writers without sports thing. Yeah, uh, This is just kind of a sort of return to the old normal, not the new normal. So uh, we'll find a way through it. Just hang in there with us. But until then, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.